my name is Dan Min. I serve as the pastor here at ACF, and it's my joy to, to, joy to worship with you and to exalt Christ together, sing together, uh, and it is also my joy to dive into God's Word with you here this morning. Uh, we, uh, if you're joining us here for the very first time, uh, we have been journeying through a, a sermon series called Oddballs. Oddballs. And now, I don't know how many of you have been called an oddball in your life, a little weird, a little off your rocker. We've got good news for you. We are a church full of oddballs. At least that's what we've been talking about uh, for the last several weeks. And this is a series based out of the book of 1 Peter. Uh, and uh, we've been looking at these different themes and ideas uh, as laid out in 1 Peter. Thus far, uh, we, we've talked about how we are designed and called by God to be a little different, to be a little weird, to be a little odd. In fact, the word that Peter uses in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 is the word holy. Peter tells us, you are to be holy. And church, this is Peter talking to us as the body of Christ. You are to be holy, different as God is holy. The word holy literally means set apart, holy, different. And so we talked about what it means to be holy as God is holy. In week two of the series, we looked at just exactly how we are to be different. Because believe it or not, God doesn't call us to be different just to be different. Some of us like to be different just to be different, just to stand out in the crowd. But, but Peter says, no, you, you're to be different, not just to be different. You're to be different because God has given you a unique identity. He says things like, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And he says, those are the reasons why you are different not because you can play the trombone and others can't and you can play this sport and others can't. You are to be different because God has given you, as the people of God, a unique identity. And we spent some time in week two looking at that. Last week, in week three of our series, we talked about how we are to engage with the world. You see, in being different, we are not, we're not calling you to be virtually unrelatable. Some of us have been wrestling with this tension. Okay, Dan, I get it. I, I get that God is calling me to be different, but I don't want to be so different that people avoid me, that, 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 people, that people have a hard time relating to me. And so last week, we looked at how do we embrace our different nature while embracing those who are different from us. So yes, God calls us to be different, but God also calls us to reach those who are different from us. And so last week in 1 Peter chapter 3, we spent some time looking at just exactly how to go about doing that. By the way, if you missed any of these messages, they're all on our website. You can watch them there or you can listen to them on iTunes and subscribe to our podcast and you can be all caught up that way. But today, we come to the fourth installment of this series, this five-part sermon series, which by the way, if you haven't realized already, we've got one Sunday service left for this semester. December 3rd, I believe, is the date, and then, and then we're done for the semester. Just by a quick show of hands, just a moment of confession. How many of you have already started listening to some Christmas tunes? How many of you got, man, already? Shame on you, shame, shame, shame on you. Oh, you're killing me. We haven't even gotten to Thanksgiving. That's okay, that's okay. 
I speak as a hypocrite. The Christmas tunes are on full effect in, in the men household, so no judgment there. Uh, but uh, we come to our fourth part of this five-part series. We'll wrap it up after Thanksgiving break. And uh, I, I'd like for us to, in fact, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there now to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 is where we're going to be looking here today. Um, now, if you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some folks that will come around here in just a few moments. If you want to raise your hand, uh, they can hook you up with the Bible here. If you don't personally own a copy of the Bible, consider this our gift to you. Take this home with you. We don't expect it to be returned. You write your name in it, mark it up, and uh, you can uh, consider this your Bible. Uh, but if you are following along in these Bibles, we are on page 1016. 1016 is where we are. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to get there in just a moment. As you're finding your place, let me just state the obvious. Um, if you've been tracking with us for this series, uh, because of the issue of timing and scheduling of the semester and, and of the calendar, uh, we're unable to go through every chapter and verse of, of this book of 1 Peter. And so I fully realize there might be sections of 1 Peter that we're just skimming across, not even touching, and you're like, ah, I want to talk about that. That, that seems like a pertinent subject, and, and, and for the sake of time, again, I had to isolate a single passage to, to preach on, and so if we have skimmed over, if we have passed over a passage that you're wanting to, to unpack and to talk on, uh, consider this an open invitation. You can approach me after service, take me out for a cup of coffee, better yet, take me out to dinner, okay? And I will, I will answer any questions and talk through uh, any part of 1 Peter that you have, and uh, I'd be happy to do that. But because of timing, we, uh, we're just looking at one specific passage in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, specifically verses 1 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Now, uh, I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. Uh, it doesn't matter what version you have. As long as you have a Bible, you're reading it. That's all that we care about. But uh, we'll have the text up here on the screen as well, and uh, you can follow along that way. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what it says. Since therefore... Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now just pause right there. I want you to understand what these first two verses of 1 Peter chapter 4 are saying. These first two verses are basically saying, during your time here on earth, you have one of two options. You can either live for your own purposes or you can live for God's purposes. Peter is saying in these first two verses, in the opening verses of chapter 4, he says, understand this, you can't do both. You have one of two choices. You can either live for your own passions or you can live for God's passions. And he says, he says listen, uh, Peter speaks from experience. He says, listen, guys, I I'm going to keep it real here, Okay. When you choose to live for God's purposes, I'm not going to lie, it may come with hardships. It may come with some struggles. It may come with some suffering. But I want you to know living for God's purposes may not always be easy, but it will always be blessed. Peter is saying it may, living for God's purposes, it, it, it won't be easy. It'll be incredibly difficult at times, even times where you just want to wave the white flag and give up. But let me tell you, church, right now, when you live for God's purposes, it may not always be easy, but it will always be blessed. In fact, later on in this very chapter, it's not, an, it's not part of today's passage, but in verses 13 and 14, if you jump down, 
in this very chapter, he says this, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. In other words, God's glory comes to those who suffer for his sake. He goes on in verse 14, if you're insulted or if you suffer for the name of Christ, listen now, he says, you are blessed. This is where the blessed life comes from because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And so Peter says, yes, living for God's purposes as opposed to your own will come with a cost, but on the other side of that cost, you've got the blessing of God's presence awaiting you. Now, I don't know about you, but I would take God's presence over my earthly pleasures any day. I will take God's pleasure, the the pleasure of God's presence in my life, than my own pleasures that I experience on earth, here on earth, any time, any day. That's what Peter's saying, God's presence. the, the, The benefit of having God's presence is far greater than any benefit of living for our own purposes. And so he says, it is for your benefit, it is for my benefit that we live for God's purposes alone. And now Peter continues, and in the, in the next series of verses, he paints a picture for us for those who have gone off to live for their own purposes. Uh, he, he begins to describe uh, some folks who, who have not committed their lives to following according to God's purposes but are living for their own passions. He says in verse 3, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. You see, the Gentiles during this time were people who were not devoted to following after Christ. These Gentiles were people who were living for their own purposes and could care less about living for God's purposes. And Peter says of them, he says, they live in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now, this is by no means a comprehensive list, but again, he's painting a a glimpse, a picture of those who have devoted their lives to living for their own purposes. He says, this is what they do. This is who they are. This is their norm. Now listen to what he says next. This is, this is in line with what we've been talking about the last several weeks in verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised. They're shocked. They're confused. They are baffled when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Again, as people of God, Peter is saying your life should look strange from the outside. People should be surprised by the decisions and the way you choose to live your life. It shouldn't make any sense. In fact, not only will they be surprised, they'll actually malign you. They'll hate you. They will speak ill against you for it. This is what was happening during Peter's time as he was writing this letter to the, to the Christians, the persecuted Christians in Asia Minor. They were experiencing the, the, the effects of being an oddball in a society where following Christ and following God's purposes was not the norm. Lawless idolatry, self-worship, pleasures and, and, and earthly pleasures and pursuing all of this was the norm. And Peter says, hey, people will be surprised when you do not join them in this way. And so Peter reminds them of this eternal truth because I have a feeling there are some of us who are like, who feel the tension, who feel the tug. I want to follow God, but I also want to enjoy the world. I've been there. 
I want to follow Christ and I want to follow what this book says and, and how I should live it. I know in my mind this is the way to the truly blessed life, but I feel like, man, there's blessing in living for my own passions, in living for my own purposes. I feel like there, and so we wrestle with this tension, and Peter reminds them of this eternal truth. In verse 5, he says, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And now, right here off the bat, we're like, ah, you lost us, Peter, because I don't think in eternal perspectives. I think in the now. I'm thinking what I'm about to have for lunch in a couple of hours. I'm not thinking into eternity that I'm going to have to give an account later on. Church, can I just pray that we adopt as the people of God an eternal perspective? We serve an eternal God who calls us to a supernatural reality that goes beyond the earthly tangibles. And so we as the people of God need to see things from a bigger perspective and Peter encourages, us, encourages them in that way. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 6, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now, it's important that we see this, folks. Listen, I, I think it's easy to read this and to say, man, Peter is painting a bleak picture of these Gentiles, Right? In fact, in some of your translations, the word Gentiles is the word pagans, right? It's these pagans. Like, Peter, it, it seems to be just slamming them, you know, like really coming down hard on them. And, and like these godless Gentiles. It's almost, I can almost picture Peter kind of throwing his hands up in the air. He's like, oh, vey, these lawless idolaters. Think of him as a Jewish fisherman from Brooklyn. Like, oh, vey, you know, I just can't believe these people, right? I can't believe these guys. But I want you to see what Peter is saying here. He says, this is precisely why the gospel was preached. This is why the good news was brought to these people so that these people who are living for their own purposes might see that the truly blessed life doesn't come through the avenue of living for your own passions. Rather, it comes when you submit your life to God's purposes. This is the good news that is presented before you, that is presented before me. When you submit your life to living for God, that's where the blessed life comes. Not when you live for your own passions. Now, this letter seems to take a turn at this point in time as we approach verse 7. This letter that Peter is writing, remember he's writing to the Christian community and so he turns his attention away from the Gentiles and he addresses the people of God. And in verse 7, he begins to say, the end of all things is at hand. Again, eternal perspective. Think bigger term, longer term. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. In other words, live in contrast to the way the pagans live. right? And in verse 8, Peter begins to break this down for us. And he starts off by saying, above all, above all. Now, in the Bible, when you're reading Scripture, there are certain words that should cause you to stop in your tracks. There are certain words and phrases that should cause you to perk your ears up just a little bit. Words like, therefore. You've heard me say this before, right? If you see the word, therefore, you've got to ask, what is it, therefore? The words like, therefore, you've got to take a pause. What, what, is, what is the Scripture trying to say here? Words like, but. Right? You remember a couple weeks ago, we, we talked about the word but. It's a big word. you got to pause there. Words like however. Words like finally. 
Jesus says this phrase often, if you read through the Gospels, truly, truly, right? You've heard that term, Jesus say that term before. Truly, truly, or some translations say verily, verily. What Jesus is saying is, hey, listen, what I'm about to say to you is very important. Above all, falls in that category of things that should cause you to take a pause and perk up your attention and, and, and throw your antennas up because what's about to come is very important. You see, last week, if you were here, we talked about how to engage with the world around us. It was evangelistic in nature. We said, how do we be the hands and feet of Christ in a world that doesn't subscribe to the same faith that we subscribe to and all this, right? This week, here, Peter, when we come to chapter 4, Peter turns to the church now and he says, this is how you are to engage with one another. In chapter 3, he told us how to engage with the world, with people who don't know Jesus, people who are far from God. This week in chapter 4, Peter turns to the church and he says, this is how you are to engage with one another. It's almost as if Peter's saying, hey, it's not enough to just be a different kind of person. God is calling you to be a different kind of community. It's not enough to just be an oddball. It's easy to be an oddball. You, you can just be weird all by your bad self. You know, that's, there, there's, no, there's nothing special about that. God is saying, I want to raise up a community of oddballs. I want to raise up a community of people that the world looks at and says, the, the way they live does not make sense. And he begins to turn to the church, and he gives us these instructions, and he says, this is what the church ought to look like above all. Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Friends, I'm going to give you four key markers of the church. I'm going to run through these real quickly. The first key marker of the church is earnest love. It's earnest love. Listen, Peter, it, it's almost as if Peter is coming to the church during this time, and he says, guys, if you fail at anything, if there's going to be anything that you as a church fail at, may it never be at loving one another. Now, church, if you've been part of church life and you've gone to church all your life or most of your life or maybe a little bit of your life, you know that the church doesn't always do things the right way. The church botches it up and messes up. I mean, you know, like a, you, you've gone to church services and you're like, I don't know what that was. I don't know what I just sat through, but that was weird. I feel like I'm walking out with nothing. I, I didn't get anything out of that gathering. Church services can tank. I mean, the weekly attendance might be on the steady decline. Sunday offerings might be at an all-time low. The programs within the church, you know, here at ACF, we kind of have a different kind of church because it's a student-led church and it's a college-based church. But, but there are all sorts of programs within a local church body that, that just might not be you know, just, just really hitting the mark. The worship music might be off. You might be like, man, I don't know this song. This song is whack. You know, I'm just like, this is all wrong. This is all wrong. The sermon might tank. I mean, the, the sermon might completely miss the mark. Probably not when I'm preaching, but, but I realize, I realize the sermon, I, I'm, I'm kidding, I, I realize there are some Sundays where I just totally blow it and miss the mark. The church can get a ton of things wrong. We can fail at a lot of things. But Peter says, if there's anything that you fail at, you can fail at all that. A worship set might screw up. You might hit a miss a note. The sermon might miss the mark. But if you fail at anything, let it never be at loving one 
another. He says, this is what separates you as the community of God from any organization out there. There are a lot of organizations out in the world, for-profit, not-for-profit, and all kinds of different organizations. Every organization has a bottom line. You got a bottom line. Whatever kind of organizations you might be looking at, a bottom line for one particular organization might be how much cash they bring in per quarter. Another organization's bottom line might be how quickly they can, they can cause their brand to spread nationally, internationally, just get our brand, get our name out there, get our platform out there, right? Some organizations, might, their bottom line might be how many customers they acquire in a given time span. The bottom line for the church, the way you gauge success within a church is by how well people are loving each other. That's the bottom line. See, the bottom line for a church isn't how many people are in attendance. It's not the size of a church. The bottom line for the church isn't how big is your budget. I can't tell you how many pastor conferences I've been to. You know, those are the two things that, that people ask. How big is your church and how big is your budget? As if some way that, that is what the scripture is prescribing as the bottom line for the church. Peter says, no, 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 that's not the bottom line. for The, the bottom line for the church is how well are you loving each other? Where is this level of earnest love? And you want to know what happens when love becomes the culture of the church? When love becomes the culture of the church, people come enter into the community with all their junk, with all their baggage, all their hurt, regrets, and their pains, and they could come just as they are to encounter the grace of God. It could be that the very thing that causes people that causes a blockage from people who haven't crossed the line of faith to the line of faith to encountering Jesus could be that the church isn't doing a great job at loving each other. You ever thought about that? That that could be the very block that causes someone to, to, to prevent them from crossing that line of faith? It's like, well, if they don't love each other, how, how am I going to enter into this community and how am I going to even... Uh, listen, how well we love each other is a reflection of the love that God has for us. That's why all throughout the, the Gospels, Jesus says, hey, as much as I've forgiven you, go ahead and do that with others. As much as I've loved you, go and do that with others. When we love each other with this earnest love, we are making a statement about who God is within our church. Love each other earnestly. And that's what Peter's talking about when he says love covers a multitude of sins. I, I, love, this, I love this little clause here because I think a lot of people read this and they, they, you know, sometimes you might think, well, I like the concept of that, but what does that even mean? Let me just, let me just clarify this. Love doesn't excuse sin. It doesn't rationalize sin. Love doesn't permit sin. Love covers sin. The, 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 the Greek word here actually literally means to lay something over. The, the word cover, like to, to, to put something over it and so that all that you see is that which is covering and not that which is underneath. When love becomes the culture of a church, we become people who no longer see people for their sins, but we see them with the covered grace of God over their lives. Do you see how that changes everything? It's no longer, man, that's the guy who struggles with this. Or she's, she's the one who did this. Or, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. 
When we say that love covers over a multitude of sins, we're saying that through earnest love for one another, we choose no longer to see one another by the sins that plague our lives, but by the grace of God that covers us. That changes everything. That changes everything. One of the key markers of a church is earnest love. The church is to be a place of earnest love. But Peter continues on in verse 9. He says this. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Another key marker of the church is generous hospitality. Generous hospitality. Generous hospitality is ultimately about giving and not taking. It's about journeying through life open-handed and not closed-fisted. It's not about clenching on to things and holding on to things. Rather, it's about releasing things so that we can learn to be givers and not takers. The way I show hospitality in my own home, you know, many of you have come over to my house. One of the first things I say is, hey, do you want something to drink? Can I get you something? Can you, if we have food, do you want to eat? You, know, do you, 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 wanna, you want something to eat? Do you want a place to sit? Get comfortable. The only thing I'm looking to take from you is your coat. Okay, can I take your coat? I, that's the only, I'm not looking to take anything. In showing hospitality in my own home, I'm looking to give being givers and not takers. Generous hospitality is also about welcoming in the stranger. It's welcoming in the stranger, someone you may not know, someone you may not be familiar with. Did you notice when you were coming in this morning on the outside, right, as you were walking in, those lovely people who were smiling, handing out, you know, the, 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 the things, what, are you call, what do we call them? What do you call them? Sheets of paper, bulletins, right? Um, you, you know, handing them out, you know, and, and they were smiling. They were saying, welcome to ACF. Glad you're here. You know, come on in. Believe it or not, they're not our ACF bouncers, okay? They are our greeters. They are there not to sift through who could come in and who should stay out. They say, hey, listen, I may not know you, but welcome. We're glad you're here. I may not know who you are. I may not even know your name, but welcome. Glad you're here. What Peter is saying, the church of God is, it should be this place where the door is wide open to anyone who is wanting to come and explore faith in Christ. We want to be a church where anyone is welcome, whether we know you or not. Whether we agree on every theological issue or not, I don't care if you grew up Methodist, Presbyterian, Christian Missionary Alliance, non-denominational, whatever. I don't care what kind of theological background you come from. We want to say you're welcome. You're welcome in this place. We don't care how you vote, whether you vote the same way as us or not, whether you worship in the same way as us or not, we want to welcome you into the family of God. Because let me tell you right now, church, listen. The family of God is bigger than any political view it is bigger than any theological construct it is bigger than any personal preference the family of god is for everyone it's for everyone i don't care who you are what your background is where you come from now if you come from new york you might be more welcome here you know just i'm just gonna put that out there but this is my hometown that's close to my heart but seriously anyone is welcome showing generous hospitality Generous hospitality, and, and here's, here's what we're trying to say. Generous hospitality says that people matter no matter who they are because people matter to God. Can I just say that again? We're saying in generous hospitality, people matter because people matter to God. People deeply matter to God. Uh, by the way, I love that this verse says, without grumbling. Some folks in the church seem to have this spiritual gift of grumbling, they're grumblers. They're just, they're just grumbling. They're grumbling about everything. 
Yeah, the music's too long, the music's too loud, the sermon's too long, it's too short, I need to, it's not preaching in my style, you know, this, you know, what's with the coffee, can't we get better coffee in this church, like, just stop grumbling, stop, it's not biblical, okay, it's not godly, and in other words, the reason why Peter says this, you know, you want to know what he means when he says, he says, in, in, without grumbling, he says, as givers, when we give, we are not to expect anything in return. It is giving without any strings attached. It is loving without any strings attached. It is extending grace without expecting the grace to be extended back to us. That is generous hospitality. Generous hospitality is saying, hey, listen, I'm going to give Even if I see no ROI, no return on my investment, I'm just going to give. Why? Simply because I hold the conviction that people matter to God. And if people matter to God, people matter to us. Church, that's the kind of church I want to be. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Where we say, anyone that's coming in through that door, even little baby Talia, come on in. We welcome you in this place. We welcome you. Generous hospitality. Now, Peter continues on. After talking about earnest love and generous hospitality in verse 10, he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. The third key marker of the church is faithful stewardship. It's faithful stewardship. A couple of things I want to note here. First of all, I want you to know that we have all been given gifts. If you are a follower of Jesus and you have the indwelling presence of God's Holy Spirit living in your life, God's Holy Spirit has given you and breathed upon you and imparted into your life specific spiritual gifts. Now, I'm not gonna, I don't have time to unpack uh, you know, a full survey, a comprehensive list on the spiritual gifts here today, but I just want to say if you are a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God has imparted gifts to you. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing I want to point out is this. We are simply to be stewards of these gifts and not owners of these gifts. Whatever these gifts that God has given to us through his Holy Spirit, we are to be stewards and not owners of these gifts. In other words, these gifts are given to us on loan. That is, when we get to heaven, these gifts will no longer be needed. Because in heaven, we will be in our perfectly glorified state where we won't need to be encouraged, strengthened, edified, and built up. That's what the spiritual gifts are for. Because in in heaven, we won't need the gift of encouragement because there is no spirit of discouragement or despair in heaven. Can someone say hallelujah to that? There is none of that. And so the spiritual gifts cease to exist when we get to heaven. The spiritual gifts are for here and now. And in the here and now, we are simply given to that, they are simply given to us on loan. We are simply to be managers, stewards of these gifts and not owners. Finally, these gifts are intended to be used for others. So we are all given spiritual gifts. We are all called to be stewards and not owners of these gifts. And these gifts are intended to be used for others. I want you to see that this is a vastly different way of looking at giftedness and talents in different organizations out there in the secular world as it is in the institution of the church. You see, in, in, in other organizations and institutions, you use your gifts and your talents to advance your career, to advance in your, in your pursuit for whatever you're going after. In the church, you use your gifts and your talents to advance others. 
in their journey, whatever that journey looks like. Your gift is given to you not to be used for you. The gifts are not given to me to you be used for me. The gifts are given to the body to be used for one another. These gifts are given to you, Peter says, so serve one another with it. That's what we're talking about when we talk about faithful stewardship. Faithful stewardship. Now, we're going to bring this, uh, bring this to a close here. We're going to land the plane. In the latter part of verse 11, at the very last verse that we're looking at here today, Peter wraps it up and he says, In order that in everything, in order that in everything, he says, I went into all of that. I went into all of this, verses 1 through 11, you know, living for God's purposes and not your own, loving one another earnestly, showing hospitality without grumbling, stewarding the gifts of God in your life. I went into all of that so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So far, we've established that the church, the body of Christ, should be marked by earnest love, generous hospitality, faithful stewardship, and here's the last one, unwavering focus. Unwavering focus. And that is our focus is to be placed on the one who is the chief cornerstone of the church. That is Jesus himself. The church is not for us. The church is for the glory of Christ. We don't gather here to sing songs to feel good about our lives. We come to gather to sing songs to bring glory to Christ. We come and open up God's word and to dwell and dig and chew on God's word. Not so that we can learn a few things. That is a byproduct of it. But the pinnacle of all of what we do is for the glory of Christ. So Peter says, in all of this, in everything that this is all about, this is all about Jesus. Jesus is the reason why we do all of this in the first place. It's for his glory, his fame, his dominion, his reign. Jesus, listen now, we show earnest love towards one another. Why? <laughs> because Jesus has shown the greatest love towards us. We show generous hospitality. Why? Because Jesus invited us all into the family of God. The Bible says, while we were still yet sinners, while we were still complete strangers, Jesus says, hey, come on. Come on, you're part of the family. I know some days it doesn't feel like it, but you're, I, I want to assure you, you're part of the family. I sent my son for you. You know that. So you're part of the family. I bought you with a price. I've ransomed you. You belong to me. So come on, pull up a chair, sit, and enjoy the banquet. Enjoy the feast. You're part of the family. That's generous hospitality. Even before we go out and show generous hospitality to others, we got to understand Jesus showed us the greatest, most generous form of hospitality by inviting us into the family of God. We, we exercise faithful stewardship. Why? Because Jesus was the most faithful steward of them all in that he took the gift of his life and he turned right back around to give it away to us so that he can serve you and me. That is massive. And so why do we do all this in the first place? Why does Peter say, hey, listen, I want you to show earnest love. Love one another earnestly and let love cover a multitude of sins. I want you to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I want you to take all the gifts of grace that God has given you and it into your life through the Holy Spirit of God. And I want you to serve one another. Why? 
Because I want you as a church to have this unwavering focus on Jesus and his glory alone. Because none of this would even be possible. The church, do you know that we wouldn't even be gathered here in this place if it weren't for Jesus? None of us would be here if it weren't for Jesus. So Peter says, hey, I I love that Peter was sharing this with the early church. It's as much true today as it was back then. That the church exists because and for Jesus. Jesus. 